0: Welcome to the Better World Leaders Podcast. Here, we invite you to explore conversations with people who are co creating, regenerating, reimagining, and re enlivening ways of knowing, doing, and being across our diverse array of areas of great change and profound transformation. One thing unites them all they are all Better World Leaders. Hello and welcome again to the Better World Leaders podcast. Uh, today is the first of two conjoined conversations, the with Dan Palmer, someone who was very, very significant in my development and my understanding and my way of being within and through living systems frameworks. Uh, Dan is a marvelous being, and uh, his descriptions and ways of working with these frameworks as you're about to find out for yourself are elegant and eloquent and entertaining at times confounding and in my own personal experience sometimes confronting and that's all wonderful so i will say a lot more about dan at the end of the second conversation for now i introduce you to our first conversation on holistic decision making enjoy Dan Palmer, welcome to the Better World Leaders Podcast. Greetings, Tim.
1: Pleasure to be with you.
0: Thanks, mate. As we have just had a little uh, sort of update in Prelude, uh, it's been a, a little while since we've seen each other, you know, months, but it does feel like much longer, so it's really, really wonderful to be back in space with you again, having seen you a bit more regularly for some time. Um For the benefit of those who do not yet know this being called Dan, could you please provide some kind of context as to, you know, sort of from where you've emerged and what it is that you do in the world?
1: Certainly. So my name is, I go by the name Dan Palmer. Uh, I'm calling in from Aotearoa, New Zealand, outside a little town called Taneatua in the Bay of Plenty region. Uh, I... At one time, I I spent a lot of time at university, ended up with a master's and a PhD in psychology and philosophy, and then uh, developed a strong distaste for the academy and ran outside into a garden and got into something called permaculture, which is an approach to sustainable living and land use, about 16, 17 years ago. Uh, And since then, I've done a lot of professional landscape development work and um, along the way... Uh, explored different ways of supporting uh, development processes in general so ended up working with in a number of different spheres organizationally um, still with landscapes and I also uh, run a podcast working on a couple of books um, a film about reading landscape lots of lots of things on the go
0: yeah, as you as you have said, you are a creative being who, who gets involved in lots of creative things. So I, I am for purely for the right here, right now, going to resist my own personal curiosity to just yeah, you know, kind of crack all of those yeah, you know, sort of individual holes open and uh, and explore each of them in turn. I would say in particular the film, but let's talk about that on another on another occasion. <laughs> um, so we. We have um, you know started exploring how we could have this conversation so the the context of the dialogue today is within this sort of larger hole that I'm hoping to you know sort of um, invite people who are leading wherever that may be at whatever you know stage of their own journey and their organization's journey and wherever within that organization they find themselves to consider different frames and different framings for the way they look at the world and the way they show up in the world and, and and what they do and the kind of the resonance that they create as they do. So what we've been talking about doing is exploring one of the approaches that you've really immersed yourself in and that you offer, um, you know, sort of exposure to and familiarity and capacity building through, which is holistic decision-making. So just to sort of read ahead for the benefit of whomever is listening, we're going to talk about HDM for Sometime, it may be all the time that we have together with Dan here today, or it may be that we do venture into another expansive vessel, which sort of to somewhat contentiously HCM sits within. So we're just going to hold that and sort of see how this emerges is uh, is how Dan and I have uh, decided to be together today. Is there you anything you'd like to say around how we've set the context Dan, before we sort of sort of j- jump straight into the explanation exploration of HGM?
1: W- works for me. Crack into the realm of holistic decision making. Take it
0: from there. Great, cool. In which case, could I invite you to introduce what holistic decision making is in the first place?
1: A man called Alan Savory, in the like. 60s 70s and 80s was working in the context of uh, uh, landscape management range land management um, and he got to noticing that vast areas of um, national parks he started with were turning to desert plants were dying um, the soil was blowing away and so on uh, and he got concerned about this, and it became a consuming passion of his life to try and understand the dynamics of what was causing this desertification. Uh, and he asked a lot of questions; was unsatisfied unsatisf- with existing answers, um, and so he started developing his own. And along the way, he ended up working with a lot of ranches. Um, and initially, his, his, his focus was on well, we, you need to change your practices on the on the on the land. Um, and do this A, B, and C to reverse desertification. As he went along, he realized that the root cause of the desertification were the, were the management decisions that human beings, human land managers were making. So he, his inquiry shifted into from the dynamics of desertification per se to the dynamics of the, the human decision-making processes that were having this unintended negative outcome of desertification. Uh, and in exploring decision-making... He ultimately discovered that you had to go pretty deep and support people to get in touch with how they really wanted their life to be, to articulate what he ended up calling quality of life statements, um, which which created this like what is sort of like a master framework they could then make decisions toward that would impact it was to do with their relationships, their own growth and self development, as well as how they wanted to look after the land, and over the years it started to have a really positive impact on the lives of people that got into his approach and on on the landscapes they managed. And so that's a pre-existing thing that's out there with a worldwide following called holistic management. Um, Okay. About 11 years ago, I signed a document that um, brought a company into existence. It was a permaculture design firm called Variable Gardens with three friends. Uh, within about six months we were freaking out. We didn't know what we were doing and the business had become a beast. We were saying yes to everything and being run ragged and um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a mess heading for the rocks. Um, And one thing that happened was the business was taking over our lives. It had become a master and us, it's slaves felt a bit like being dragged through the dust behind a wild stallion. And To my great fortune, I I attended a course on holistic management, on Alan Savory's approach, and learned a bit about it. Um, And some light bulbs went off. I grabbed what I'd learned about this this side of it that's like, well, before you start any endeavor, get deeply in touch with what you care about, what brings you alive, what what, um, brings quality into your life, and then really own that and claim that and use that as a decision-making North Star so that over time the shape of whatever you're, applying it to, it could be your own life, your life of your family, your organization, uh, an event, whatever it is, over time, the shape of that thing will align itself to support greater and greater quality of life. And in an organization or a business context, if that's not happening, at some point someone's quality of life is going to take enough of a hit that they leave. Um, and ultimately, you know, everyone will leave and there won't be an organization will die and so I was very grateful to have this as, a, as as we were just about to hit the rocks and the stuff was about to happen. We're about to collapse and fall over to say, Hey, let's try this. And the experience was profound because within, it felt like several months, certainly within six months and then by a year for sure, the whole business was turned upside down the way we approached it. And we managed to tame the business. We managed to turn the business that was consuming our lives into something that existed primarily to enhance the quality of our lives. And as it started to do that, um, we, we more and more wanted to be part of it. And so what happened is I initially applied Savory's holistic management approach as best I could. And over the time, as tends to be a habit with me, as I kind of reached some of its edges and, and found other approaches that were complementary and excited me, and I started to bring other ideas in, and just made my own discoveries. It got different enough to warrant a different name. And so I've, I've been calling it holistic decision-making and it's became a, become a thing in its own right. Yeah, a bit long-winded, but that's a that's the kind of conception story.
0: No, that's awesome, and uh, yeah, I know that this is going to be a a uh, convergent and I hope coherent uh, and and cohesive thread to our conversation, which is going to be you know essentially how is it that organisations become nurturing of and affirmative to life? Right. So let's, I'm just going to speak that explicitly you know into the dialogue that you know we're, we're very much weaving you know sort of that as one of our uh, sort of core threads to the dialogue uh so so thank you for for um you know sharing you know the emergence of of, of uh, alan saver's approach your discovery and experimentation with it and to this point where you now have a thing which as you say is kind of different enough that you know it, it, it it's evolved its own you know sort of being so what is it about holistic decision-making that you have found, um, you know, to be so beneficial in your life since, you know, sort of you had that sort of transformation in your own organisation and then what have you found, you know, has been you know, beneficial to, to the organisations that you've shared it with? Let's talk about benefits first and then we'll kind of backtrack yeah, yeah. It and unpack exactly what it is. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, at a, at a high level, I would say – one of the primary benefits for me is acknowledging that our upbringing, socialization, our culture at large in the modern world is very focused on parts and pieces and fragments. And so it's, it's, it's just incredibly easy for our lives, for our families' lives, and certainly for our businesses' and organizations' lives to get pulled apart, to be split and fragmented and feel like this kind of incoherent, incoherent uh, hodgepodge of of separate parts that we're constantly trying to juggle or or or, or kind of stick together, um, you, know, you know, patch patch up this crack here while something else is falling apart. So realizing that's the default center of gravity of of modern culture, um, and it's it doesn't have to be that way. That we can we can we can um, we can develop and steward such things as organizations and businesses, not to mention our own lives, as as organic wholes where the different parts actually belong, you know, that they synergize and harmonize with each other. And I realized you can't get there by starting with separate parts. You have to go deeper than that. And and the thing has to be whole, the the different parts of the whatever it is. Um, I might say this phrase, whole under development, which is W-H-O-L-E, under development is a general term for whatever it is you're applying holistic decision-making to. Which is whole-oriented decision making. So the whole under development might be me, might be my family, might be the business. I think we'll probably use business and organization mostly in this chat. But realizing that it's it's possible to make decisions that uh, are responding to and contributing to fragmentation, or it's possible to make decisions that are that are kind of sourced in and contributing to wholeness. Um. And that is probably the primary benefit where where the more whole something comes the more the different parts belong the kind of healthier it is for each of those parts including the people in an organization so the more nourished they are the more nourishing they the, the more nourishing they're able to be to the greater whole the more nourished they are and the whole thing just steps up into new realms of of aliveness of beauty of contribution
0: and so on yeah something like that Something like that. Yeah. And and I think that I hope that. I, I would be a little bit presumptive and say I believe that. Yeah. Having endured, you know, whatever individual um context people have endured over this last, you know, kind of three, four years in particular, as we, you know, are here together in the kind of the middle of twenty twenty two. Um I think there's also been a realization of, of of that this is very much a collective experience, right? And, I, and I, I think that people have actually felt in a very, very lived kind of personal, you know, the kind of experience that you can't unfeel way that actually this is a wholeness experience, whether it's been in relation to, you know, climate events or, you The pandemic or economic disruption. And now we're looking at food system disruption, particularly, you know, as we sit and energy system disruption as we're sitting here in just to date stamp this. It's late July 2022 when Dan and I are talking. You know, there's a whole lot of holes that are all bumping into each other, all kind of founded in the same dysfunctional premises, right, that you can isolate a problem and you can wind it down to the sort of the smallest, you know, sort of reductive individual state and then say, well, you do that and I'm going to go over here and do this, right? And I I sense, and it just keeps coming up, it's the most coherent, consistent conversation I have is just that it ain't working and everybody feels the need for convergence and and this sort of collective endeavor so that to me is at the heart of what you're speaking about here that this is a frame for people to essentially intuit this at an individual and collective level at the same time
1: yeah yeah
0: cool so how does the framework? work but like how do you engage with it what's the journey that you take people on as they navigate understanding what this how, how does the
1: how does, yeah, how does the framework work I'm feeling this, this this metaphor coming up, um, so I might well share that, and then we'll get into the the kind of practical players. Yeah, go for it. Um, All right, so so uh, this is inspired by a systems thinker called Peter Singer. So, so, I mean, some of you might be in a position to go and pick one up, but at least at least imagine you're holding in your hand the the seed of a tree. It might be an acorn, or it might be a tiny little eucalyptus seed, or whatever it is. And then sitting with what this seed. Is capable of which is when the conditions are conducive oh there we go <laughs>
0: what is that i have just going and grabbed one it's a big eucalypt nut
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah probably um yeah. thick folia. um yeah so so when the conditions are right the thing germinates and this this protective shell cracks and the this embryonic plant um starts to Grow and and feeds on this this temporarily available stored food source from mum until it can make its own way in the uh, in the world. But it's not like the and ultimately a tree results all going well. So you think of a hundred year old tree, a hundred year old eucalypt tree, and you think of this little tiny seed, and it's you're like, well, how how did we get from that little, little tiny seed to this massive beautiful? Beautifully articulated tree. It's habitat for so many other creatures. And it's not like the the seed contained a dehydrated tree that was just shrunk down and squished, you know, it just expanded out of the seed. And the the, the seed is literally a portal through which the possibility of a living tree flows into the world. You know, it contains as well as the the food in, in the embryonic plant is this this you know. The, the, D, the DNA that helps orchestrate and steward and guide a process that results in a, a living tree. And a living tree is whole. A living tree is not formed by taking branches and leaves and a trunk and roots and sticking them together to create this Frankensteinian kind of aberration. It's whole, the parts belong. And using that metaphor, I, I use that when I'm sometimes introducing and sharing HDM with folk, that we need the equivalent of that seed we need to get deep enough to find out what that seed is what the dna is and that then can become the thing through a, a more whole life or family or organisation can can flow through okay and so uh, holistic decision making whole oriented decision making comprises essentially four practices and if you're and, and they're not you don't do one and then finish one and then start the next they come online one after the other initially but the idea is that they're it. From then on, they're this, this, this simultaneously uh, unfolding co-partners. And if you're engaging in these four practices, you're engaging in holistic decision-making. So what are the four practices? And how does that relate to this idea of a seed? The first of the four core practices I call articulate how you want life to be, how you want things to be. And yeah. You know, so in, in common language, it's like, what do you want? And yet I've worked with a number of organizations who, when I ask that question, they say, yeah, yeah, we've done that work. We've got a mission statement. We've got a vision statement, whatever it is. And they pull it out (laughs) and say, so we've already got it. Um, Or we've already got it, and it'd be great if you could help us to tweak it a bit. And in every instance, I said, let's try this. Why don't we put that to one side, and we'll just generate something fresh from scratch from what's real and alive in you and the organization right now, and then after we're done, then we'll, we'll bring your one back that you've already got, and you know well, maybe they'll be the same, maybe maybe they'll inform each other. Whatever, let's just see what happens. And people accept that invitation, um, and and so we go through the process, and never ever have they even looked at the previous one ever <laughs> again. And so the upshot was what I've realized is that there's a lot of talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've got it. We've got our whatever the, the the common fashionable phrases: mission statement, vision statement, blah blah blah. Um, it's quite rare for that to have the depth that that to me gets into this territory of of, of of DNA, and so when I say the first of these four core practices is articulate how you want things to be, I'm I'm talking about a a process that um, that is that is deep and thorough and is aiming to uh, evoke and reveal and uncover something that uh, I guess you could say meets a number of criteria. One of is one one of them is that it's very specific it's focused and clear another one is that it evokes spirit and will like it it brings the potential and life force in in the relevant people involved in the conversation alive they feel their spine tingles sometimes there's tears as you know as they engage with wow this is what we're about um it it also needs to be um well most of these statements are, are generic abstract and vague you know, you, you ask a lot of organizations, and you say, well, that's lovely in a way, but sort of pointing in a nice direction, but it could there's, there's 10,000 organizations in the world that could work to that. You want it to be unique to you, to really tap into to your, your unique essence, not trying to copy what, what some organization does or is or, 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 or replicate best practice in the industry, but really reach deep into your own uniqueness and get clear on that, what you're about. And so those are a few flavors. What, when one one thing I'll mention is that um, core to this, as we dive into each of the four core practices, there's a number of distinctions. And one of the distinctions here is the distinction between goals and um, what I call what I've come to call core values. And so a goal is some specific um, definable objective that we'd like to achieve in the future. And often when I ask people what they want or in an individual or family or organizational context, they'll start with the goals. Like we'd like to, we'd like to achieve this. We exist to achieve ABC. Um, and that's never, yeah, ever and so that's a starting point. And so, I, I, you know, there's the old, why do you want that? Why do you want that? At some point you drop across the line between goals and core values, like, and, and the, the you really, you come to realize, well, goals are things we, we can decide temporarily or, for however long it makes sense to focus on and to try and achieve, but they are in service of something deeper. And so we want to get into that deeper um, territory f- first. And I, I love the stuff, you know, so I really enjoy working with with individuals and groups to, to, to hold a space to support them to discover what it is they really want. And as, as um, an inspiration of mine, Christopher Alexander says, it's ex- says so something like, it's extremely hard to help people tell you what they want. <laughs> You know, it's always you yep. think it would be easy, but, but there's a, and I'm sure I'm sure this resonates with a lot of your own work and and um, probably a lot of what what you've done. But th- that's the that's the non-negotiable starting point. Is that what's the DNA of this whole of this organization um, at a deep level, and how 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 focused and clear and specific and tangible and um, kind of energizing and will and spirit evoking? Can we get it?
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and it, it, it does very, resonate very much at a, you know, sort of a being level or if we biological metaphor, a cellular level. And what I always find, you know, you're using you know, different methodologies, but I think very, very much, you know, sort of emanating from the same root. What I right. find very consistent is how both confronting and enriching this journey is for people, like very consistently. Um, yep. and I do question why that is and certainly I think the it's confronting in that it's not practiced very often right like in in this way of living that you know it, it has come to you know sort of be so yeah, you know, sort of just all-encompassing like we just we just don't hold space and we're not invited into space to talk about the things that are really sort of primal and fundamental for us Mm. at that sort of need and desire level right like it's always no no no. we we don't need to get into that stuff let's just talk about this right how much money do you want or like Mm. what Mm. color car do you want i mean i'm obviously being a bit facetious here but you know like all the way through school and whether you go to university or not but certainly if you deepen you know your academic experience you won't get any more of this you just get you know, more complexity in what you did before, um, or maybe just more, um, more volume, more breadth. Um, you won't get depth. Um, and then you go out into the world of work and then it is very, very, very short, linear and narrow. Right. And, hmm. and that's, that, that doesn't allow space for any of this stuff. Um, hmm. so thank you. That's what's the, what's the next practice you explore?
1: Well, you know what? There, there's there's another really, really important distinction within the first practice. Ah, I feel okay, like. great. I'd Be remiss not Go so to touch on that. So, uh, and and it, so, in holistic decision making, the way that we articulate how we want things to be is in the form of what we call a context, and a lot of this language is adapted from Alan Savory's e- earlier work. And the context itself has a, has a number of layers, but I'll, I'll just share the first two. And so the, fir- and the the first two layers are, are firstly what I call the core intention and secondly what I call the core values, which I mentioned before. And so the core intention is like a, some people call it as a statement of purpose, but it's it's kind of where at a deep level, what's our most concise, powerful answer to the question, why do you exist? So it has all these qualities I was talking about, and it, it's, it becomes a true north. It's like where, where are we f- focusing our energies, where are we heading here so that's essential because otherwise you're drifting all over the map the the second layer i'll mention are these things called core values which is what do we need to be experiencing as true um step by step as we pursue this aim if we're going to be as kind of enlivened and nourished and excited um as possible and so Firstly, with the statement of purpose, the core intention stuff. In my experience, there's, there's always more depth possible, and people are a bit shocked at first when they they, they show you their best work. And you're like, "Yeah, a bit vague and distracting, and you know, it doesn't really resonate with you." <laughs> you know, they're like, "What? We're paying you to insult us?" Yeah. Um, but then, then there, it's always smiles at the end once we've done the hard work of rearticulating something more, more, more genuine. Um, and then the second focus is okay sure you could pursue this and burn yourself out along the way lose money hand over fist unless some people of course have have that in the uh, the organizations i work with tend not to have that in the core intent um you know destroy your relationships there's a lot that could go wrong and that could totally destroy any hope you have of taking more than a few baby steps towards that beautiful um uh purpose or reason for existing and so why are those things what are, the, what are the core things that need to be true if you're going to be feeling as nourished and enlivened um, as, as individuals, as a team um, in relationship to customers and stakeholders the rest of life and whatever it is um, moving away? And so I take a lot of time to get that distinction clear and that you need both of them. What needs to be true step by step and step by step toward what? We need at least both of those things. And there are a couple of other layers probably don't need to go into now, um, yeah, that's all inside this first core practice of hdm articulate how you want things I, to be mm-hmm.
0: i'm very glad that you held us there before we progressed and uh yeah my my impatience is uh, is being uh, as a strength i need to practice um to be patient that is so no i, I think i really really like the way that you um yeah provide that that distinction around values, you know, as, as being the sort of the truth of the experience in progression towards the, you know, the really genuine intention. Uh, that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. fabulous. Um So if there is anything else in the first practice, let's explore it. And it, as, and when we are ready, we will proceed.
1: <laughs> I'll say one last thing, which is just a different words for the first thing. And it relates to a framework I both. No, we're both familiar with, which is that core intention you can think about as will. It's about will it, which is about focus. The core value statements which I draw in a halo around supporting in a way that that core intention, they're like be, their focus is being. How do we want to be as we kind of pursue that will? And then after that we move to the question of function. Okay what are we actually going to do? having've we've got, we've got clear strong will focus will. we're clear on how we want and need to be. As we honour and pursue that will, and only now do we move to function, which is what a lot of people start with, right?
0: Can I just respond with a very brief anecdote? Um, yeah. And yeah, again, I, very much like you, you see this just all the time, everywhere, right? And 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 this triad is either barely a biad, or or it's just it's a single point of focus, which is all function, because there's this perceived need to be in action as soon as possible uh, because you have to prove outcomes or ROI or, you know, goal attainment or, you know, some sense of, you know, sort of very, very superficial achievement. Um, Yeah, I I was invited to um, participate in the sort of the formative gathering of a, a sustainability hub. Lots of very well-intentioned, very successful, you know, very well-connected people. Um, and we had lots of, you know, quite active discourse about essentially will, but in, it's still in a sort of a vague, you know, lots of emergence and divergence, right? We, we um, uh, sorry, lots of convergence and divergence. We didn't quite get to the emergence part. Um, and, uh, and at the end of the session, there was this real division in the group between people who really wanted to be nested in doing deeper work around I'm just going to use the terms that we use on the day purpose and values. Um, and others who would just, yeah, no, let's just get going. Let's just yeah, b- bring people in. So this the purpose of this hub is to sort of nurture startups. Right. And, um, And they're like, let's just bring people in. Let's just roll in, you know, the founders and, you know, we'll do the stuff and we'll we'll get to all that stuff later, right? There's this really kind of, you know, action-orientated minority, but a powerful minority who were just only interested in function and sort of proving worth in some way through that functional, you know, sort of deployment. Um, And I would say fortunately, um, and time will tell ultimately, but, but the decision was made actually know we we're going to have a session and we're just in that session going to focus on and the specific sort of framing that, that I offered was how we are going to be together and what it is that we intend this group to be working towards. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a, that was then a very generative session. And we've now got this really sort of like to use a word that I very rarely use, but strong foundation around will and being, from which function will flow far more effectively, frankly, passionately, generatively. um, And I would say, you know, the outcomes are gonna be better for sure. Mm. So yeah, Mm. just just quick anecdote very recently that just really speaks to that, the benefit of that triad and approaching it that way around, yeah.
1: Fully, yeah, yeah. Okay, second core practice of HTM. Uh,
0: and
1: I, I want to acknowledge the influence of another another writer called Robin Robert Fritz, who's done some beautiful work about about the dynamics of of healthy creation process um, in this. And I might use a, a analogy. Uses, um, but I name the second core practice: notice where you are. So articulate what you want and how you want things to be, with an initial focus on being and will at a at a deep level. And then we move to notice where you are, which at first glance, it can sound like that's the easy bit. So, well, we've done all this hard work, you know, there was tears, there was sweat, there was having to resist that functional urge, just going get shit done, you know, whatever. We had to have these, these horrible com- conversations and we might have discovered that, um, you know, along the way that such and such was actually not, in the right place. <laughs> it's time for them to go and find somewhere else to work with because, you know, what they were about deep down didn't align with what this organisation turns out to be about. Um, so you've done all that hard work and notice where you are. You're like, well, just, you know, open your eyes, look around. That'll well, just take a few seconds, right? Easy. But you realise that that itself is a um, is a fraught endeavour and takes a lot of practice in the sense that we're, we're incredibly prone to bias and there tends to be um, different times and places and different people either this catastrophization, like seeing things as, as worse than, than they are, or the rose-tinted glasses thing where we where, where we ex- exaggerate them. And so the no, in holistic decision-making, the second core practice of noticing where we are is in deeply informed and directed by the, the work we've already done. And this was something I developed initially with um, the business I'm still part of, Very edible Gardens, and I still feel so grateful for this discovery and how powerful it's been. Is that what we mean by noticing where we are is that we'll have meetings where the whole point is, and these are the most important meetings we have as a business, is to notice where we are relative to what we've already articulated. So we I mean if we put in the show notes if you're interested, but we 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 have a, a one-page diagrammatic mind map type looking thing. We've got the core the core intention in the in the middle, then we've got these core values around the outside, and there's a few other layers there as well. And what we do is we go around as a team. More recently, in the the era of COVID, we started using an online drawing program where we could all grab a cursor and simultaneously go around and developed a system where um, on each core value and on the core intention thing in the middle, everyone makes one of three marks, a tick, a dash, or a cross. And a tick is, yes, this resonates as true for me right now. Um, A cross is this this resonates as untrue or it doesn't resonate as true. It's not true for me right now. I'm not experiencing this um, in my experience of the organization. I mean, one of Variable Garden's core value statements, to give a concrete example, is that we're professional, organized, and unrushed. So this is, this is core value stuff. This is being stuff. We want to be professional. We want to be organized. We want to be unrushed. There I mean, were none of those things when we started. And the truth of that varies. And so that's something we check in against. And each individual team member is inside the system now, so they're not bound to peer pressure. They're just checking with themselves how professional, organized, and rushed do I, is the reality of my experience as part of this organization right now, this, today or this week. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it a bit of both, which is a dash? And so within five minutes, it's quite cool because in, in, with the online thing, you just see all these different colorful ticks, dashes, and um, crosses emerging. And within five minutes, you've got this Powerful, powerful insight to how we as an organisation are genuinely tracking against our context, where what matters is not where what um, uh, you know, some external expert or something tells us. What matters is how true do, does it resonate for us. That's the ultimate probe or measurement. So this noticing where we are in an organisational context, it's like sticking a probe into the organisation, how are we tracking against our context? And in, in, a, in a nutshell, that's the that's the notice where we are. So it's done with focus and rigor um, and it's something that we can, we can track our noticings over time and see how things are shifting, which really starts to hint at some of the other
0: two core practices. Hmm. Super cool. Yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, there's a myriad of different ways that you could do that. Right. But I think Um, as a principle, as a principle to say, know we will frequently consistently you know coherently collectively check in with where we're at against our core you know, premises or our, our our lived values well i can tell you how often that happens in organizational life and that's either never or, in, or infrequently and yeah. i can tell you what happens when you do do that um you know significant you know improvement in cultural experience you know in you know wellness Productivity, you know, organisational performance uplift, blah 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 blah. I mean, I don't need to speak to, you know, the empiricism here. It is increasingly known and felt. Uh, so, no, that's super cool, and again, a really nice, neat frame. You know, kind of observe where you are that has a lot of depth to it as well as i would expect from you yeah. of course um okay uh, is there more that need i'm gonna i'm gonna ch- try and tune into it there you go you're is taking your there more yeah, that advice yeah. to, <laughs> to this before we before we
1: move any further yeah, one, one thing i feel to introduce here is that often these four practices are, are, are happening at multiple levels of resolution so so for example we have a uh, what we call a context with these this core intention, the core values and other aspects of uh, the DNA of the organisation. We're checking in against that regularly. At the same time, we have articulated a context. We've supported each individual staff member to articulate a context for how they want their relationship with this business to be. And we're checking in on that as well. And I want to mention that because that still fills me with a lot of joy to reflect on... It's almost like the flabbergasted uh, expression that new staff members mention, or sometimes it's been a year or two, but they're like, you know what, this is so freaking weird. Because I started working for you guys, and you sent me down, and you and you said, all right, you know, Veg has got its own context. Obviously, you, you've got a position, and it, it, like your whole position is predicated on you adding value to just being in. And well, you know what what our core intention is what our core values are we also want to ask you what do you want out of it you know what what would most bring you alive um, in terms of your relationship with this organization and at first people are just like what the hell you know who are you people do you have to, how do you have time for this how is this relevant no one's ever 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 asked me okay here's the job here's what you need to do now Let's get really clear and make time at dedicated meetings, and then check in regularly on what you're after. And so we do that for each team member, and that that is a really powerful compliment because what it means is that at some point the penny drops for team members. They're like, "Holy shit! You, like you re, really genuinely care about me. It's, there's nothing fake about it. You're making the effort." And and you, we are as we move into the the third and fourth core practices, they realize, well, you're make, we are making decisions that actually open doors for me and create possibilities for me in the organization based on my deepening, when you're supporting me to deepen, my deepening clarity about who I am, what I want, what brings me alive. And one reason I mention that is that um, it does wonders for retention, right? <laughs> and, and also for, um, you know, like recently we had somebody who, who had a really exciting opportunity came up. They made the decision to leave with us before they told a lot of close friends. and You know, it happened in a really beautiful way. There's, there's the, the likelihood of surprises is all but eliminated because people, they, they reciprocate and they get that you've got, you've deeply got my back. And so I wanted to mention that, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the all four practices are being applied to multiple different um, layers or, or levels within the organization simultaneously.
0: No, it's it's again. It's a really profound and significant um, sharing that, that this is how this works. Right, this is this is the way that this is in being, um, and a, a, a beautiful analogy. And I, I hope that person yeah, is on in a, in a beautiful journey, and um, well, possibly taking some of the you know, conveyed wisdom on, onwards with them.
1: Totally, yeah. The the new the new possibility was a um, apprenticeship in. An arborist apprenticeship which involved climbing up trees with chainsaws. And that was, <laughs> that, 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 this person's soul up. Um, yeah. Good on you, Colin.
0: Love it, I'm sure. Good on him.
1: Okay. Should we move on okay. to the, the third? Indeed. So yes, please. And keeping in mind that, as I said, that all these things continue to un- to unfold, they, keep, they continue to roll. So we're, we're continuously articulating how we want things to be, we're continuously noticing where we are. And yet, so far, nothing's actually... I mean, we've we've accessed a lot of clarity and noticed a lot of stuff, but nothing's changed, right? And so this is where the rubber hits the road. And the third core practice of holistic decision-making, I call make decisions that take you there or make decisions that close the gap between um, what, where you've noticed you are and where you want to be and where you've noticed you are relative to where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And... It, what we're, One thing we're doing here is we're harvesting and harnessing this incredibly potent tension that at first can be really distasteful, but um, can be transformed into the juice of, I don't know, magic, organisational magic. And um, Robert Fritz uses the analogy I mentioned earlier of if, – if I'm holding my two f- f- fists, one above the other. The, the top fist represents clarity on where we want to head or how how I want things to be at first call practice. I can have all the clarity in the world on that. And yet, if you imagine a little bit of elastic um, um, hanging down from that, the elastic's slack. It's just flopping all over the place. no tension. On the other hand, I can have incredible clarity about where things are. Like, I can be noticing how things are right now to the nth degree, but be really vague and sloppy on how I want things to be. And so, again, if you imagine a, a slack piece of elastic sticking out of my lower fist, there's no tension. When you've got both, which is the first two core practices, the elastic is held at each end, and suddenly you've got this tension between the two. And when I, why I said it was can initially be distasteful is because in some of these meetings initially, you're discovering that, oh, shit, we're actually um, we're out of integrity with something we like to say that we're all about. You know, like one of our staff members is saying, I don't feel included. Or I don't feel like I'm hurt, or I don't feel whatever it is. And at first, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> like I'd rather, in a, in a sense, sweep it under the rug and pretend everything's fine. Whereas this, what this is inviting us to do, is actually to embrace that hungrily. Say, tell us more. Let's go into more detail. And now let's move into the third call practice, which is use that tension. Oh shit, we're actually we're actually doing pretty poorly against one of these things that matter to us. Yet lose that t- tension to make a decision to close the gap. So that's the third call practice. And there's quite a few layers within that of, of um, how we make decisions. And I mean, the, the first thing I'll emphasize, which initially for me was an epiphany, was, was re- realizing that if you look back on the history of anything, your, your life, your relationships life, your family's life, your organization's life, you'll see a line, you know, the trajectory that the path it's taken. And then you look more closely, you realize the path is made up of steps. And you look more closely and you realize every single step was a decision, you know, you decided to step here, to step there, to step there. So there's this line, there's this line which is um, a series of dots behind you, and the decisions you've made um, have literally determined your destiny. They've placed you where you stand right now. And so for me, it was an epiphany to realize that, oh, my God, decisions are it. They're all we get. Decisions are the steering wheel. There's no other steering wheel, right? The decisions we're making right now, in this moment, on multiple levels are determining where we're going to be in the next moment. And if we're making the same decisions we made yesterday in the same way, we're going to um, – tomorrow is going to be the same as today. You know, that Unless we shift the way in which we're making decisions and the decisions we're choosing to make, nothing's going to change. And so suddenly decisions become the most potent um, vehicle in the world for closing that gap between where you're noticing you are and where you deeply want things to be, which is, which is kind of scary – and how ambitious it is! You know, that first core practice is not about mucking around. It's like, Jesus, if we if we got there and held ourselves there, that would be absolutely incredible. Um, and so, there's this 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 idea, this concept from Savory, of testing a decision. And so, you're standing at this point, and it's decision time. And often, we're making decisions to solve a problem. Um, or to reject or accept an opportunity, basically to re- react or respond to something the universe has thrown our way. And so this is what I call reactive decision-making, which is the default, cultural default. We're just reacting to stuff. And holistic decision-making re- represents a transformation of, of the whole orientation from reactive to proactive decision-making, which is instead of saying, in a way, we'll sit around. I mean, these days you don't have to sit around long until the universe throws something at us, COVID or whatever, a new client approaches us or something. The universe creates an opportunity for us to make a decision. We Great, okay, we'll make a decision. When we move into proactive decision-making, we don't need an excuse from the universe. We're just like, we're going to make a decision today that mobilizes us and energizes us and takes us towards what we're here to do, what we're about, for the sheer hell of it. And this idea of testing a decision is that we can test a decision against our context, against our core values, against our core intention. And um, You can also, sometimes we talk about as filtering. So you can think of this earlier work you've done as like a uh, like a filter, and you can drop a potential decision through the filter. And, and really just putting the magnifying glass on this moment of choice, realizing that the moment we make a choice, we breathe life into one, something was, like right now I've got a thousand possibilities. When we make a decision, we breathe life into one of, a thousand, and we sim- simultaneously breathe death into 999. So we're killing all these other possibilities and actualizing one. And we just want to become as fluent and literate and awake and conscious as we can about the power of that. And if we make a sequence of good decisions in very short order, we can be in a, an entirely different space. And one last thing I'll say is that um, this can happen at, at a kind of at more kind of... A simple level, which is just like, okay, we've got to make a decision or we're choosing to make a decision. Let's choose the decision that, that aligns with, resonates with, and takes us most directly towards what matters to us. Then you can pull out this thing called the testing questions. And Savory developed this. He developed seven of them, now adapted them and have different versions. But this is like a multi-it's quite sophisticated, you know, it's a multi-stage decision testing filtration or filtering system. So you think of like this multi-stage filter, like a seven-stage water filter with the big stones, little stones, carbon, etc. And it's like you're dropping a, a particle or whatever in the top, and seeing if it goes. Chunk made it through the first testing question. Chonk, second testing question, and the questions are things like: Does this um, give us momentum or, or direction towards our core intent? Does it honor or dishonor our core values? Does it create any unintended negative? consequences be they social ecological or environmental and so on all these different um, layers and at the, at the very end there's the the gut feeling so we've done all this sort of intellectual systems kind of analysis how does it feel in our guts and the idea is that a question a, a prospective decision needs to pass each of these questions get through each of these filters and if it has it's probably a good decision we, st- we still have the fourth practice to go which reserves the possibility that it's not a good decision but it's like you just you, you, you give a lot more time and attention than you pr- might perhaps normally to to making decisions where initially it's probably a little bit more clunky takes a bit longer but then it gets much faster you end up making decisions more swiftly um, than you ever did before um you know it, it, just, it just sort of becomes second nature
0: yeah, yeah no so first of all beautiful depiction description um and you know again a really simple and sophisticated and you know sort of contextually complex uh frame and i what i was just sort of projecting you know m- in my own um sort of envisioning uh, as you were describing that especially that little the little um you know sort of uh detail at the end around the point at which this becomes you know, it's sort of internal and, you know, it starts to become sort of instinctual. i like could actually envisage that this sort of decision-making frame actually then starts to project out into the world and you're sort of already starting to filter, you know, where you're looking for opportunities. And as opportunities start to sort of get gravitationally pulled towards you, you're already sort of knocking some of them away, yeah. even, you know, sort of unconsciously because you know it's not going to get past the stage th- three or you know, whichever it, it part of that, going to get stuck in the medium-sized pebble, you know, to use your uh, water filtration metaphor, right? Yeah. So I can see how that could really play out over time.
1: Yeah, which is so so, uh, it excites me, because it it, it filters out into the relational field, kind of energetically, but also tangibly in terms of the way you happen to word your website. And so you start to filter out a lot of the wrong people, the wrong customers, before you have to spend any time and attention on them or whatever it is, and, and magnetically attract the ones you... Um, that you that you are after, yeah, yeah. What was I going to? Yeah, something else coming up. But yeah, I, I love that, that aspect of it. That, oh, yes, it was. Yeah, awesome. I don't know something. Yeah, so we're up to <laughs> third core practice.
0: All right, very, very good, very good. Uh, So sorry. Is so that everything that we've just discussed is that part of the third practice? And we're on to the fourth one, or was that all sort of additional sort of deployment of the first two practices in a in a? No, no, this is the third. Strategy. We've just covered
1: the third. The third is make decisions that
0: are informed. Gotcha, by the first gotcha, good, good, like good. That's what, that, that's what I'd received, but I was just a bit confused there. Okay, good. So
1: we're, 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 we're articulating how we want things to be, we're noticing where we are, and we're making decisions. And now all three of those are simultaneously online indefinitely.
0: Great, love it. Love it, love yeah. it, love it. So the fourth then.
1: The fourth core practice, yeah, yeah. And, and often by this stage on courses and stuff, people are like, it's kind of a lot, Dan. Like, surely we'll be right now <laughs> With all the stuff, you know? <laughs> you know. No, no, in a sense, things only really start now at the fourth core practice. And the fourth core practice, lately I've been summarizing it as stay awake. Um, I, I also talk about the fourth core practice um, not, pay attention, notice when you drift off course, like when you drift off course, uh, and then make like, then course correct. And so you've done all this mm-hmm. work, you've made a decision, you've, you've deployed, hired, fired, whatever you've done, said yes, said no. Um, you, you, you you watch carefully and you set up kind of systematic or rigorous indicators that will that will alert you as early as possible, as to whether or not it was a good or bad decision. And the idea is that you make a decision based on your, your work so far and the current the reality of the current context you're in. The current context is changing so damn fast that at some point, if you just pursue blindly that course of action, it's not no longer going to be a particularly it's not going to be pointing toward your. Uh, your intention, your values anymore. So you want to notice that as early as possible, where the time, energy, cost, expense, stress, frustration of making a decision to course correct is is hardly anything. You know, like it's it's making the decision to have a conversation with your wife or husband after a very minor niggle about I don't know putting the wrong kind of milk in their coffee or something, which is resolved in thirty seconds, versus the you know we're getting divorce conversation that happens two years later after. What, uh, 200 coffees with the wrong milk or whatever else happened. Um, yeah, so that's that absolutely critical. And that's why the fourth core practice is equally integral and, and, and helps um, maintain the, the potential or realize the potential of the other three core practices through time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is the, this is the bit where you know again to use the sort of it feels almost vulgar in the in the beauty that's emerging in this conversation, but this is the rubber hits the road bit. Right? Yeah, this is the this is where you know we've done all this wonderful generative work and now we're out in the world in everything that the world is, um how do we stay awake and alive to you know the intentions and the values and that dynamic tension. Yeah. And the need for our own decision-making process. You could say that the third core practice is where the rubber hits
1: the road like you make an actual decision and act on it. And then the fourth core practice is is staying awake enough that, oh, shit, there's a a corner coming up, so we need to turn the wheel.
0: Yeah, the the car doesn't go off the road. No, that's it. Yeah, I I received that. That's a better way of framing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've referred to this, I think, a similar approach as... um, it's Well, I have on one of my facilitation shirts I have printed, um, pay attention to your intention. Hmm. Hmm. And it's just this kind of co- constant call to vigilance around values. And, that yeah, just to say we have this stuff and this is what we do and we check in on it, like that's good and it's not enough, right? Like there's this yeah. extra layer of sufficiency. You know, it's like, you know, again, let's use the gardening, you know, sort of metaphor, right? Like <clears throat> this is now the constant care and maintenance you know, and that, that that vigilance of, you know, sort of where where's the sort of the right interaction with this system so that it holds us in best alignment with the being state that we're trying to nurture here uh, mm-hmm. without some radical, or no, radical is the wrong frame, uh, the, you know, much more sort of consequential interruption at a later stage, which is either too late or, you know, it, it's going to take us a long time and a lot of energy and resources just to get back to where we are now yeah 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 totally. yeah, yeah. one of the most useful <clears throat> examples
1: is in a farming context where you've made a decision about this or that um, technique or strategy to aimed toward improving soil health certain fertilizer or mechanical um, aeration or whatever it is and an, an indicator you set up applying this fourth core practice would be we're going every six months we're going to do a soil carbon or a soil life test and the moment that indicates that things are actually going in the other direction or not changing, not, not improving, we're going to have to all make a different decision, right? We're actually going to like watch for evidence for early evidence and not fall into the hubris or arrogance that because we did all this work and we humans and made a great decision, it's going to be great indefinitely to catch ourselves. Yeah. Right, yeah. I want to share yeah, with yeah, you yeah. too, that you talked about your, your, your shirt. Yeah. When, when talking about the second call practice, <laughs> Second and third core practices. I, I often say something like, "Use what we're doing here." Literally, is that we are attending, like we're directing our attention to the tension between our intention and reality, and so we're actually splitting our attention, which is which is a thing, you know. Because usually, our attention's split and fragmented all over the show. We're re, we're re-corralling it. learning to gather it up again, which is no small feat, but then we're consciously splitting it. So part of our attention is on how we want things to be. Part of it is on noticing where we are now, which then creates the possibility that we can attend to the tension between the two and be excited by that and use the energy and information in that to make decisions that close the gap while paying attention and course correcting as we go along. And man, the whole game shifts, you know? And that was our experience with this business. Um, And it worked, and so at that time, uh, I would got married and we started having kids. And I was like, the business has got this kind of clarity and this, this process that's working. Family is a, is kind of a mess. You know, I'm just learning how to be a husband and a father and all these decisions. So we we realized, well, there's no reason we can't take a similar approach. So my wife and I sat down at that stage and we articulated the context. Like, what do, what do we want to be most true? What matters to us most more than anything else? How do we want to be as a family? which subsequently was able to inform the decisions we made. And then over time I realized that there was something missing, which was I discovered after a while was me. So I did the same thing for myself. So I'm applying this stuff at multiple levels in my personal life and business life as well as now after a while um, others start to ask, oh, what's, what's going on here? Um, what, there's something about the energy of the business or whatever that appeals. Um, and so th- that created the... I don't know, calling it something and, and and creating opportunities to share it with others.
0: And I might offer a third uh, observation that I presume and project that you've made, um, which is that there's an absence in the system and therefore many of the things that you're doing, such as your own podcast and the books that you've mentioned and the film and all these other creative projects, like there are actually sort of offers into the system to sort of nourish and, and nurture um, with these other you know, sort of ways of being, doing, and knowing, so that yeah, you can you, you, you've done your work in your sort of groups in your circles. You're doing the work mm-hmm. in you, and that's ongoing, as discussed <laughs> in, in the fourth, uh, the fourth, uh, fourth practice. And you know, you're working at a systemic level as well, and yeah,
1: yeah, which I love. And well, I'll I'll it. It. yeah, totally. And, and, and just the nature of where I've come from, a lot of the people I've worked with are, are working in the field of regeneration. A lot of um, fa- farmers working with regeneration or regeneratively oriented organizations, and it's so cool to be able to support them to get to do the stuff. To and 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 you can see where, whether you call it holistic decision making or, or or not, and whether you use some of the specific tools, strategies, techniques I've mentioned, I can't see, I don't see it as negotiable. Like either you are you are maintaining deep clarity on what you're after, you know, on, on how you want things to be, noticing where you are, making decisions to close the gap and staying awake, or you're not. And if you're not, you're not, you know, and it's very unlikely that you're just haphazardly randomly going to somehow <laughs> realize all your, what do you call them, earlier hopes and dreams order, you know? Um, and so, I love that people evolve and, and find their own strategies and techniques, and we, we're part of a community now that, that supports each other to, to find ways of delivering on these core cool practices that, that work in different contexts.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm just going to sort of check in with you sort of live here in the moment now um, around yeah, this sort of expanded pathway that we talked about exploring. Um my sense now is that we could rest this part of the conversation and from a broadcast perspective, I actually am, am, am sensing resonance mm. with one of your suggestions earlier that we actually rest the conversation here from a broadcast perspective and we sort of immediately from a broadcast perspective, roll into a continuation an expansion, and expansion, and to a exploration of living design process. Um, how does that land with you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that works. It feels like we've done the, the we've done justice to the minimum of we covered the four core practices. Yeah, definitely the minimum. Everything, else is, everything else is details, um, but we didn't do stop at two or three, which is great. And, um, and yeah, and from a broadcast perspective or whatever, it feels like that was a hopefully digestible chunk and focus. And this LDP would be a a different uh, conversation.
0: Yeah, I think so. Okay. So this is our intention. Our intention is that Dan and I are going to shift into a dialogue about living design process, um, and how, did, uh, rather than me sort of you know repeat what you said how, how how did you describe how this conversational shift would then be different between us and with us from what we've already done so far Dan? how did you how did you put it when we were talking before we came on air
1: yeah well so so to me uh, holistic decision making the the kind of entering into the space seems fairly easy to me you know in, in a lot of ways it's a it's a it's a clarifying and a deepening of what a lot of people do already. They already have a mission statement. We're just totally throwing it out and doing something d- different in that space. Um, and so it, it's, it's kind of easy to grasp and see the immediate relevance of living design process is a larger conversation um, that focuses not, not um, so much on the dynamics of healthy decision-making whole oriented decision-making, but on, on the larger dynamics of the way humans create anything and how we can bring those creation processes more alive, and holistic decision making to me is an integral part of that. And it's a part. There's a there's a, m- a much larger conversation there, D- and to me, it's a you know a, a deep, radical, um, cutting edge conversation that um, takes some work to kind of really access or 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 or, or, or bring into uh, bring into the foreground, even the doorway into the space.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I, I would add that you, you'd also uh, sort of reflected that this would be really kind of a bit of a kind of a wild exploratory conversation, right? With a, with a, both of us, kind of you know, sort of um, hopefully sparking sparking things off. So, hmm. um, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to rest this conversation here today, and then we're going to invite you, our listeners, uh, to return in the next conversation, which will in effect be a continuation and expansion if that's an invitation that you want to uh, to accept to you know, engage with from an energetic perspective, this very live di- <laughs> you know, sort of dialogue and exploration of something much more complex, much more, you know, kind of gnarly as a, as a concept, but also very alive and, uh, and applicable in the world today as well. Beautiful. So I will say thank you, Dan, for what you have shared here today. And in anticipation, thank you for what's coming next.
1: Absolute pleasure. I've had a great time.
0: So how are you being now, having been with that conversation for an hour or so? Uh, Pages full of notes, perhaps? Lots of ponderings going on already? Maybe you have paused Probably not for quite as long as I facetiously suggested. Um, but there's probably quite a bit coming up for you. So, um, yeah, welcome to the wonderful world of Dan Palmer. And I'm just going to speak a little bit now about how I met Dan and our journeying together. And then I'm going to talk a lot more about um, my experience with Dan after the next conversation that you may well be about to roll straight into on living design process. So I met Dan at the threshold of joining Carol Sanford's change agent development community. Carol Sanford's is a lineage school. And as you join, you essentially get you sort of a an initial exposure to the ways of working through a lineage person, someone who's tenured in the school and you know it's sort of there in a kind of custodial way um, to make sure that your arrival and emergence into the school um, you know sort of sits within the overall epistemology and and sort of working frameworks of what the school is setting out to achieve so Dan was mine Dan was the first person that you know I met and had a sort of a real experience with within Carol's communities and we had lots of exchanges in the sessions that Carol was herself directly supervising in ones that were following Carol's frameworks and design processes, but she wasn't directly involved in herself. There were sort of small groups of us and Dan was typically one of the, the sort of the space holders for those sessions. And then we had a series of our own interactions and through all of that became what I considered to be good and dear friends. Um, and as I uh, (laughs) expressed uh, to a couple of people on a couple of occasions, um, I used to really look forward to um, Dan and I ruffling each other's feathers. Uh, So Dan was and continues to be a very special person to me. And um, it's taken me a long time to be able to give voice to what I'm saying now uh, for reasons that I'll make clear um, in the next conversation. But Dan is, is, yeah, a significant influence in, in my development and, yeah, continues to be. So... Onwards and into, and I've broadcast the two on the same day, so you may well be itching yourself to get into the conversation on living design process, which you can do. It's the next up in the feed. So straight into that one, longer, deeper reflection on both coming up very soon. To close this conversation, an expression of gratitude. Firstly, a grateful acknowledgement to the First Peoples' of all lands, waters and skies upon which this conversation has been created. The conversation was hosted on darawal country, audio edited on Gadigal country and produced on Boon country, all in Australia. And we gratefully acknowledge the contributions that continue from Elders past, present and emerging to generating the fields of wisdom and potential that can sustain our better futures i gratefully acknowledge the contributions from brendan ward as executive producer original composer and track arranger to cooper and pat from radio hub for audio editing and in studio tech support to Bonnie from Collator for original artwork and to Sybil at Atomic Tangerine for marketing guidance and to Norpita and Nicole at Knock Knock for digital hosting. And above all else, to you for your time, attention and advocacy. Thank you all.